Hello and welcome to Red Shirts, a podcast about Star Trek. I'm your host, Jake Donaldson, and I'm joined as ever by my co-hosts, Maddie Harry Mudd Churchhouse and Nathan Muddy Hair Thomas. <laughs> Without further ado, let's engage. Muddy hair. Yeah. What? Like ha- ha- Harry, hairy mud. Harry no, no, mud, I understand why hair. it's <laughs> Harry mud, but why is Nathan muddy hair? Is Nathan known for having mud in his hair? Also, if you're going to make a joke about hair, of the two of us, I feel respectfully there's more material in Maddie's hair than there is mine. <laughs> that well, there's is more, true. There's more material in both of your hair than mine. Uh... <laughs> Oh dear! Uh, no, I've yeah, I've resigned myself to the fact that I'm uh, that I'm slowly balding and it's very just depressing. Rock it. Yeah, I, I'm. I might shave it all off and go full Picard. Yeah, absolutely. You know what Gene Roddenberry said in the 27th century or whatever? They don't care about male pattern baldness anymore. So <laughs> you're actually pushing the boundaries. That's true. And being and a progressive by all going All of the bald. best all the best Star Trek characters are bald as well. You Picard, the EMH doctor from uh, <laughs> Voyager. I think you could rock the EMH style baldness. Do you think just, like in the middle? Oh, the... even better, samurai style baldness. Like go long at the back and tie it into a ponytail <laughs> and yeah. then bald at the front and be like, "Yeah, actually I just shaved it off cuz I'm a samurai." Oh, but like <laughs> if we do that, uh, we'll be a parody of people that have a podcast though. Like oh, that's... Yeah. <laughs> long hair, ponytail, interesting uh, haired woman for diversity and generic white man is, is pretty much oh, with podcast. an obsession with samurais yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh dear we are uh, looking at an episode from TOS which we've not done in a little while so that's quite fun um, and it is the episode Assignment Earth from season 2 of uh, Star Trek the original series um, the final episode of season 2 indeed yes yeah. uh, it's, uh, it's I think it's a really good episode but we'll get into that in a bit um Nathan, would you like to describe the plot of Assignment Earth in your patented manner, please? I would. Um, the crew of the Enterprise have travelled back to 1968 to conduct historical research. However, an incredibly powerful transporter beam rocks the Enterprise. Something is coming aboard. The beam is originating from a thousand light years away, a feat not possible even in Kirk's time. A man with a black cat and sharp stu- suit stands on the transporter pad. And after the opening titles, the man advances, Kirk calls for security. The man identifies himself as Gary Seven and claims he is a human of this time period who has been living with a very advanced alien civilization and cautions Kirk not to interfere. Kirk decides to confine the man and a fight breaks out. Kirk is able to stun the man. Uh, Spock strokes the cat in the briefing room and Kirk <laughs> orders all personnel to listen to the briefing room. Nobody is finding any information and Spock, exp- Spock explains the uh, orbital H-broms are the problem of the 1960s. Uh, Gary Seven finds a force field holding him in place. He uses a pen to disable it and gives the ensign on duty a weird rictus grin, which is what he'll be doing to subdue enemies all the way through, and it won't get any less creepy. Uh, back in the briefing room, McCoy explains that Gary Seven has no physical flaw. 
Kirk gets warning of the transporter beam as the cat escapes. Gary beams out just as Kirk, Spock, and McCoy arrive. Gary appears in some kind of secure secret facility. Gary 7 begins to ask his um, computer questions and receives textbook uh, 23rd century computer snark. He uh, exposes that there are two aliens here who have been sent to prevent Earth destroying itself due to the advance of science overtaking social and political knowledge. The agents on Earth are here to sabotage the US's weapons platform, but there has been no progress, so he decides to undertake their mission. Kirk and Spock are on Earth, being guided by Scotty to Gary Seven's location. We see a weird scene with an attractive woman for a bit before flipping back to Gary Seven, who has fake IDs made up. The attractive lady finds Gary, they bicker for a bit, then Gary mentions her, uh, makes her type a report of the past three days. The woman seems a little bit confused by the machinery. This is all very weird. A gag about voice control happens. Um, the woman quits, and Gary realizes she's not act, uh, uh, acting. Uh, so uh, she is a secretary employed by the two agents, and her name is Roberta. Gary convinces Roberta that he's a CIA agent. Spock and Kirk wander around for a bit. The computer tells Gary Seven his two agents were killed in a car accident, which feels like information it could have said earlier. <laughs> Kirk and Spock are be- <laughs> incompetently break in and are held up by Roberta for a bit. Roberta reveals Spock e- Spock's ears. Kirk shoots a lock open. Prime directive. It shatters like your expectations. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, Gary Seven uses long-range transport to escape again near the Saturn V <laughs> launch area. The police arrive at the apartment and they never subdue Roberta, so Scotty has to beam... Kirk, Spock, and the two police officers on board, then beam back the police officers. Again, prime directive, fellas. Um, Gary Seven is stopped by a security officer, who he zaps into the weird sleep face again. Scotty shows uh, Kirk and Spock images of the rocket. They are searching for Gary Seven. As they can't find him, Kirk and Spock decide to beam down. Gary sneaks out of a car to the gantry of the rocket. Spock and Kirk beam down near the security officer from before, who immediately orders them to freeze. Roberta tries uh, talking to the computer and accidentally activates the secret long-range transporter portal thingy. Gary Seven, with the help of Isis the cat, continues to fuck around with the rocket. (laughs) Kirk and Spock are being interviewed. Their faces and communicators are um, confiscated and they refuse to identify themselves, which, you know, only helps. Scotty finds Gary Seven on his view screen and Roberta is busy fucking around with the advanced technology. Scotty beams Gary Seven onto the Enterprise, but Roberta's fuckery nicks him back to the apartment. Somehow, at this point, Kirk records a captain's log. <laughs> always infuriates me in the TOS. He's like, Captain's log, I'm in danger. It's like, how are you recording this? <laughs> anyway, he's powerless uh, to intervene or even know if he should. Uh, Everyone has to watch the countdown, then stock footage happens. Gary Seven takes over the rocket manually when it, uh, while Roberta is all shocked until Gary manages to cut the phone lines by a magic pen. Um, we watch more stock footage. Gary causes a malfunction and arms a nuclear warhead. Roberta picks up an item with the plan of hitting him over the head. Scotty tries to call Kirk, but the security people stop him, and Roberta hits Gary. He insists he has to let him finish it or World War Three will start. Kirk and Spock incapacitate the security guard and beam to Gary Seven's apartment. Gary and Roberta are having an argument when Kirk and, uh, Kirk and Spock break in. Uh, Gary and Kirk have an argument. Spock can only guess at um, uh, these calculations. Roberta insists Gary is telling the truth. There is some tenseness for a while and Spock tells Kirk to rely on intuition. He lets Gary go and the computer go to the computer and detonate the device. Kirk and Spock reveal that their records show that everything happened as expected. 
Uh, also, Isis has a sexy human form. <laughs> Kirk and Spock depart, saying that record show Roberta and Seven have some more interesting times ahead. And that's how the episode ends. Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> My favourite bit of that. That was a very good and uh, and well-written uh, Thank you. explanation of the plot. My favourite bit is when you accidentally did a spoonerism and referred to Kirk and Spock as cock and spurk. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that is ironically what happens in most Star Trek fan fiction. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Um, so what did you think of this episode? I've already said that I quite enjoyed it, but uh I I sense from Nathan's uh intro that possibly he isn't as big a fan of it as I so, am. But... I really enjoyed it. It's really good up until the ending for me, which right. spoils it and now I can't help but be bothered by it <laughs> this is a really good episode i think okay. it's firing on what, all cylinders yeah, okay, all the way through the ending annoyed you the ending annoys me because spock goes oh historical records show that gary seven and roberta had more adventures and that uh, this all happened as expected right if you had those records the whole moral issue of this episode should be solved <laughs> because why when you were googling h-bombs and other bullshit and deciding not to intervene did you not go Gary Seven into, into Starfleet Google, right? It's because if point. you have those records and you can't for weird prime directive reasons, which you don't seem to be bothered about in the rest of this episode, yeah, like, also, like the, tell the, them about it, then you should know that what you do here is leave Gary Seven alone. Maybe <laughs> yeah. it's because Spock only has access to Star, uh, Federation Bing or Federation Microsoft Edge and therefore <laughs> couldn't actually locate the proper records in time. Well, I have a real-world explanation for why, at the end, uh, they do that weird, oh, it seems like they go on and have more adventures. Yeah. Um, and it's because this was meant to be uh, a pilot for a spin-off show that Roddenberry was making that was mm. uh, about Gary Seven and uh, <laughs> whatever her name is. the Roberta. Roberta, Roberta Lincoln. Bobby Hornblower. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, they were they were meant to have uh, their own series that was this was going to be the uh, the pilot of because that and that's why this is the last episode in in season two of Star Trek because start it was about th- it was about to get cancelled they thought they were about to get cancelled before uh, before they were given the third season and so he ah, okay. so Roddenberry was like right well I'm going to do this and this will be the last ever episode and I'll be this is that's why in this episode he's. Uh, uh, credited as producer, not exact producer, because he was he wanted to be hands on to try and make it look good, um, so that he would try and land this other thing, which never landed in the end. But um, but that's why they do that weird like at the end where they're like, oh, it seems like they went on to have lots and lots of adventures in in like a really yeah. corny way because they were trying to set this new show up. That never I'll tell you why it never got made right. It's because Gary is the shittest secret agent name <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. It's like it's like Johnny English code name Gary. <laughs> no, Gary. secret agent Gary. I'll have a pina colada. You might as well shake it because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, Gary is the name of like a builder, not a secret agent. <laughs> it's a, it, also I love the fact that they've done this kind of thing that that uh, like old school science fiction from the. Like first half and 
early part of the second half of the 20th century where they just give someone a surname that's a number and like yeah. like just calling him Gary Seven because it sounds like a cool kind of Star Trek-y kind of spaced name. It's like... Just... Because he's a, bore, he's a tragic rip-off of James Bond crossed with Doctor Who. Yeah. He has a fucking sonic screwdriver <laughs> he does, that does yeah. everything from make people gormlessly smile and then fall on the floor to opening the sides of random rockets to apparently <laughs> killing people. Yes, that's right. The sonic screwdriver now murders people. And yeah. everything he does in this episode, he only achieves because of his sonic screwdriver. He's actually shit at his job. <laughs> he is. Yeah. Like, the, you know, the bit when he first meets Roberta and he goes into the... Um, to the whatever it is, the office thing that they all work in or whatever. His swanky office that looks exactly the same as the office that Dick Van Dyke has in the Dick Van Dyke <laughs> show. And that, and that really trips me out. <laughs> um, the, the, it probably is the same one. They probably filmed it the same <laughs> Probably place. only got one. Well, that the, the street address that he gives for the office is the same address that they lived on in the show I Love Lucy, which was another Desi Lou. Uh, oh my God. Production. Then it probably is the same office. <laughs> yeah. Um, no way. But anyway, the um, <laughs> that that bit when he goes into the office for the first time and he he doesn't like he doesn't even attempt to try and hide the fact that he's an alien or that like that the, there's any kind of weird alien stuff going on and it, it's like you're like the worst secret agent in the world like you you just go in you don't try to establish who this weird woman that you've never met before is you don't try and establish whether she understands things already you just charge straight in with magic computer machine and like, yeah and just reveal all of your secrets to her she yeah. could be an enemy agent you've got no idea like an enemy agent disguised as a ditzy mod but like <laughs> why not that would be exactly how you disguise yourself but yeah he he's just really he's just really embarrassing because you know how easy it would have been for, for him if he had actually been beamed from like an alien planet for him to just actually prove to Kirk and Spock that he was telling the truth he yeah. could have just been like I don't know do a lie detector test uh, like here are my cufflinks made of adamantium that <laughs> come from space like he like he could so easily have just found the way to prove himself but instead he's just completely obtuse and doesn't bother and like that actually does really bug me about this episode that i i thought that my enjoyment was actually hampered by the fact that you don't even though you kind of find out that gary's one of the good guys when he's talking to the computer Mm -hmm. it's not really confirmed until right at the end so the whole way through they're just working at cross purposes to each other and undermining each other's plans because Spock and Kirk are constantly trying to beam him back and he's constantly trying to beam away. But I can't see any convincing reason for them to just not be working together from the start. Yeah, uh, it... because then you don't have a moral problem to hinge the episode on. <laughs> it's very, very <laughs> boring. Mr. Spock goes, fuck logic. Let's base the <laughs> ending of this nuclear war on Jim Kirk's sense of intuition. <laughs> yeah, there needs to be more of a like investigation thread, uh, thread, I think. But like, you can't do it that they just work together because the plot gets resolved in five minutes then like the enterprise is a 23rd century ship he's a super advanced alien between the two of them they can sabotage that ship and solve all of the problems immediately like literally i mean what annoys me is just like the massive disregard to um like they're all like 
it's just like the, it's the funniest shit when they beam those police officers. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I'm just like, yeah, that's perfectly okay, Kirk. And but yeah, yeah, that's fine. It's like the temporal prime directive doesn't exist them. in this episode. They're like, as if there's not some kind of amnesia pill that they don't have on the Enterprise. They're just like, uh, no, actually, haven't got time to deal with that right now. Just beam them back and pretend it never happened. <laughs> and like, I'll, like I won't say anything, McCoy. You won't sign say anything. We'll strike this from the record, and it won't go in the captain's log. Like you know that I know that we know that we're never going to talk about this again. <laughs> those policemen just go back and they're like, oh, but like, yeah, let's be I... fair. They were stupid to start with. I mean, I know like the NYPD don't have a great reputation for intelligence, but clearly like it's not, it's not grown in the last few decades because yeah. they were just like knocking on this door. And then when they come in, they just stand around and sort of, <laughs> they just sort of <laughs> wait to be, wait to be beamed up by these aliens. They don't do anything useful. And then when they go onto the enterprise, they're not like, Oh my God, where am I? Who are you? What's going on? They just stand on the launch pad like, and then they get beamed back like, but I think that's accurate because all the NYPD do is eat donuts, shoot black people and lie. So I'm not surprised that they don't actually know what they're doing. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I I think that is a good comedy moment in the episode um, of which there are a handful. um, Yeah. In classic TOS style uh, there are bits of this episode that I think are just there for no reason like that, like, no. <laughs> like the cat yes, jumping that's what I was on say. Scotty and the cat going Rah! No, that's not the noise it makes it doesn't make a noise that sounds remotely like anything a cat would ever say it's like it's like a woman screaming how does it it's like yeah. <laughs> and then well, it leaps for his throat like the rabbit in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> well, and she is very briefly a sexy lady. Yeah, right? that's what I was just about sexy. to say. And like, it's really random. There's it's no, just like, no, not a, no, there's no explanation that? of that. It's my cat. And everyone's like, <laughs> like it, it's almost like the men can't see it. Like everyone's like, it's a fucking cat. What? Like, I, I, what? I, it's like a blink and you miss it moment in the thing. And presumably that would be something that is later explored. expanded and explored in the spin-off show or whatever but like it feels like a weird time to introduce it now <laughs> like just to go oh yeah by the way also the cat could turn into a sexy lady Bye. i thought that was 100% coming because as soon as i started watching this show alex saw the beginning and he was like oh the cat's going to be evil and is going to be controlling him and that didn't <laughs> turn out to be true but it was you know, in the back of my head the whole way through, I was like, this cat is not really a cat. This cat is like yeah. an intelligent alien of some kind. So I was not remotely surprised when the cat turned into a sexy lady with cat ears. Um, <laughs> is the implication that him and the cat are in a relationship? I I think it's they're definitely partners, aren't they? I mean, she does sit in his hands and he like strokes his hands all over her body oh my god she even like gets petted by spock this is amazing this is like you just become a cat and then all of these men apparently want to stroke you that's how it works yeah listeners if uh, we we haven't for a while asked for anyone to send in any uh, fanfic but if you want to write sexy fanfic about spock kirk gary seven and a cat that would be <laughs> ideal i'd have that <laughs> I've got some fun facts about the sexy cat lady. Oh, okay, go on then. So her identity was actually a mystery until two years ago. 
Because well, the actor. It, yeah, the actress who plays right. sexy, sexy cat lady is not listed on the billing. And her identity was lost to time. So this um, rumour just started that it must be this lady called Victoria Vetri, who was a sort of sexy dancer known in the right. 60s. And that was just spread all over the internet forever. And she even kind of fanned the flames of that herself <laughs> to like get publicity. And then when challenged, she would back down and was like, yeah, it's a lie. Sorry, guys, I was never in Star Trek. <laughs> and then some random nerd two years ago looked through all of the production sheets for Star Trek and managed to find, like, this casting call that's, like, Cat Lady 1 and track this woman down called April Tatro. Um, so she got paid $89 for the day, or more <laughs> or less in total, like, for being there for, like, one hour and then the hair and makeup. She said... It was a bit, like, overwhelming, wearing that skimpy outfit. She said she'd never had as much attention before ever in her life. And <laughs> get this, William Shatner asked her out on the basis <laughs> of seeing her in that sexy cat outfit for five minutes. And get this, she was engaged to be married in two weeks' time. And she still said yes. What <laughs> And went on a date with William Shatner. That's amazing. Classic Shatner. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's like, you oh, I'm engaged have. to be married in two weeks. Who cares? <laughs> Let's get you, dinner. <laughs> you'd still go out for dinner if it was William Shatner, though, wouldn't you? Like, even if you knew... I, oh, I, feel, yes. like, I feel like if William Shatner asked my girlfriend out for dinner... You'd be angry if she said no. I'd, I'd be angry if she didn't go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's like a list of people who I would be okay with her going on a date with. <laughs> who, are, who is on that list? Um, <laughs> William Shatner. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, Darren Brown, which I don't think would happen because he's gay, but anyway. Oh, God, I'd love to go to dinner with Darren Brown. Yeah. He'd be like, do you like the soup? And you'd be like, yes, it's delicious. And then you'd look down and it would just be like a toad looking back at you. And you'd be like, <laughs> how did that get there? I met Darren Brown once. He was very lovely. Oh, um, I love Darren Brown. Um, yeah, I don't know who else would be Why on did this list? become a Darren Brown podcast? <laughs> Not remotely related to Star Trek or this episode. Just an <laughs> Sorry, from now on, the show's called Brown Shirts. And it's just us talking about Darren Brown. No. No, no, Jake, Remember no, Jake. There's been a very it. famous organisation called the Brown Shirts. Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, shit. Cancelled. Cancelled. Putting the S. They really were bad feminists. They were bad feminists, yeah. Anyway, it's moving on. Remember that time when Darren Brown convinced that mug to shoot Stephen Fry in the head? Yeah. That was really good. I like Hilarious. Um, <laughs> look, moving on. <laughs> Who else is on the list? I want oh, to know. Hell. William Shatner, <laughs> Darren Brown. What about Paul Rudd, Sexiest Man Alive, twenty? Actually, yeah, I'd be all right with that. Because um, me, me and my girlfriend were talking about Paul Rudd the other day, and we both agree that he, he he's a vampire who never ages. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'd, I'd be okay with that, and I think he's actually quite good in the Avengers films. So uh, he he's allowed, um, and he's in Clueless, which is one of the best films ever made. So um, see, I haven't had this conversation with Anna, but I do know that uh, being two bisexuals in a relationship is excellent for watching any kind of hot celebrity. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, we watched Lucifer, and it was like. Uh, and we're both of us like, oh yeah, but we would though. Like you know, <laughs> that man, that man, very attractive. Gary from uh, Miranda is Gary, very attractive. Yeah. I refuse and, and to call best, him Lucifer. He's Gary just, from just, Miranda. 
just quick, just quick for, for for any fellow bisexual people around. Best show you can watch with your partner: Naked Attraction. If yes. you're both bi, it's oh, brilliant. Yeah, because you can just you can watch all of the men and go, nah, the woman. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Jane watch uh, Naked Attraction quite a lot, and the, uh, the there's definitely an element of because um, even though I'm a straight man, uh, and uh, we we'll have like we'll watch it, and I'll I'll go. Oh, I reckon that man, that man is all right. I think I'd go on a date with that man. And all the men that I pick are just the ones who've got the smallest penises because I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to normalise small penises. Um, but um, I, I was watching it once and then uh, it panned up from a person and I was like, like, you know, trying to... I don't, obviously, you can't recognise anyone because it, like... if you, Listeners, if you don't know what the show is, it's it's a show that we have in the UK, oh God, which Americans, Americans find so mad. This bit. It, it's a show. For it's a dating tells. show, right, where you go on and you take off all your clothes and you th- there are like sort of you stand think, in a it, you stand in like a coffin five, yeah there, there are like five people who stand in a box who are all naked and there's like a, a door that go- moves up from the ceiling uh, sorry from the floor upwards and it slowly reveals more and more of a naked body until eventually you get to see the person's face and <laughs> then the, and the person who is playing the game has to sort of Eliminate people, eliminate as, people they go. as they go based on different bits of their body and stuff. It's mad. And like, based on this different is on, bits like, of their body, come on, based yeah. on their dicks. Let's yeah. not pretend it's anything else. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's like, and this is on it, like, you know, it's not that late in the evening on 9 p.m. channel it's 4. Like, yeah, it's on at 9 p.m. on, have you seen, on a normal have you seen TV Susie channel. Ruffles, like, stand up. Yeah, it's it. great. I'll yeah. put it, I'll put it, I'll put a link to that in the show notes because that summarizes that show better than we <laughs> It's can. so good. Like, and I, I watched it with an American friend once, and uh, and she was just like, wait, the, the, there was a, a point where there was a, <laughs> it cut to a, just a shot of a massive, vagina on stage or sorry a massive vulva on stage uh like and that was all it just filled the entire screen <laughs> and you were just and the, my mate was like sorry what this is like normal t- this is porn this wouldn't be allowed on the telly in america and we're just like yeah sure it's just a there's a fanny on the telly yeah <laughs> um you know we're, we're the show we're the country that makes top gear so you know we've had fannies on the telly for a long time but, ah! um <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Piers Morgan, yeah, um, <laughs> but it, yeah, it's it's I I I love watching that show. But yeah, I was watching it once, and then a guy, it sort of slowly panned up, and I started to be like, I, I, I'm sure I recognise that voice from somewhere because they talk <laughs> while they're doing it, right? And then it got to the top, and then is and it showed you his face, and it turned out it was a guy I went to university with. Who ah, I, I, holy I, shit! I had no idea he'd been on it, and uh, and then yeah, and I and now I've seen his knob, which is weird. I I consider myself quite a confident person, but it's never happening. <laughs> <laughs> what I would love to see is a Star Trek version of Naked Attraction with all different races. And then, like it, it gets up, and one of them's a Klingon, and suddenly you see two dicks, and they're like, "Well, he's definitely it's not winning." Suddenly, that you see two dicks about two centimeters off the floor, you start seeing the yeah, dicks. Yeah, yeah, when yeah, that's the <laughs> Just when it's it gets quite, to about knee level, body body positive show though, right? Yeah, yeah, like, it's good because like they 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 have quite diverse types of bodies, and they talk about like lots of body positive issues. Mm. Like this is this is why this show is acceptable. Is that it's actually pretty like. 
progressive and there's 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 trans people on it there's um there's gay and straight and bi people on it there's like selecting. people with like it's most famous for women looking at lo- yeah it's most it's like most famous and... yeah yeah it's most famous for people for for women looking at dogs but that's like by far not all it is anyway why the fuck are we talking about <laughs> naked attraction yeah i mean it's like it's a very if you wanted to be like what was stuff sci-fi like in the sixties, this episode, right? Like, yeah, 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 definitely. It feels very Avengers. That's how it feels. Not like MCU Avengers. I mean, yes, the Avengers. Yeah. You know, like the old British spy, like secret agent show. That's how yeah. it feels. It does, yeah, and well, it, it's like. Yeah, like that kind of Avengers Man from Uncle sort of yes, vibe. In yeah. fact, there, there are, I saw on when I was doing research about this episode, there are lots of establishing shots of New York in this episode that are taken directly from the Man from Uncle. So uh, that really? expl- explains why. Um, and yeah, I suppose because it's got that kind of undercover secret agent sort of storyline to it. Um, mm. They're very similar sort of. I think they were quite popular types of shows at the time. Um, well, there's a lot of stuff in this that you feel like is Star Trek ripping off something else, but probably actually isn't because those yeah. ideas haven't... Like, it feels like Gary Seven's a, a rip-off of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. but, like, Doctor Who had just started and hadn't been broadcast in America yet. Yeah, like, that's true. There's yeah. no... And, and obviously, uh, Gene Roddenberry's script idea goes back even further. Um, and partly, like, Gary Seven was supposed to have a backstory that would have differentiated him a lot more from the Doctor as well, but it was changed when it needed to fit into Star Trek, because he was supposed to be like a hyper-advanced human or something. It's so funny, though, because this E does give very, very strong vibes of John Pertwee, Third Doctor, and Sarah Jane Smith. Like, that dynamic of, like, the kind of more maverick, mysterious, flamboyant older Doctor with the sonic screwdriver, and then the young, pretty like mm. single female companion is very much the dynamic that they're going for this show but to be fair that also is the dynamic that was popular in a lot of shows at the time and continues to be popular today but it, it you i think just maybe cuz those are like the lingering cultural impressions we have of television in that era yeah. it's hard not to think of those things <laughs> but i'm sure but yeah like nathan said this came before the third doctor and um, I'm sure there's probably loads of other stuff that was also really similar that's just now lost to time. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, I don't have enough of a, a good knowledge of 1960s, like, yeah. B-movie TV sort of stuff to be able to tell you whether or not it was, like, a, a trope. But I think it's so probably safe to say that this was sort of one of the earliest examples of that kind of thing. And, like... <clears throat> Excuse me. I wouldn't be surprised if John Pertwee took some kind of uh, uh, inspiration from this episode for his portrayal of the Doctor, maybe, or something like that. Um, but, it, it, yeah, mm. there are definitely similarities that are, <laughs> are like, notable, I think. Um, the, do you want to know a fun fact about this episode that I found out? Yes, absolutely. So, you know... Um, at the start, when they first find out that 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 they're in 1968, and Spock says he, he searches his memory banks or whatever, and says that the the sort of the things of note that happen on that day in history are an assassination, um, yeah. a launch of a, a a nuclear rocket, and a um, is it a coup in Asia? Yeah. Right. Mm. 
about I think it's six days later after the episode aired, there was a day where um, Martin Luther King was assassinated. The Saturn V rocket was launched on the same day, and there was a coup in Asia that uh, that restored um, Saddam Hussein to the Iraqi. Uh, leadership or something so like or, or they happened around about the same time anyway but definitely the the launch of the rocket and the assassination of martin luther king happened on the same day in the same year that they say that something happens in this and then later on in a comic book uh, that retells the story it is canonized that this happened on the day that those things happened so uh, mm. it is now canon that the the uh, the assassination that spock refers to is the assassination of martin luther king and that the um that in Star Trek uh, fictional history, the launch of the Saturn V rocket or whichever rocket it was, um, is was actually a nuclear warhead that was being sent into orbit by the U.S. government, and it's been covered up, and that's what the uh, that's that's the history. That's some retcon bullshit, right? Because yeah. First of all, let's not pretend that the American government wasn't secretly really pleased that Martin Luther King got shot. Let's <laughs> let's just not pretend that for a moment. Also, I could not... That's something that really distracted me this episode and, and meant that I was just constantly confused and could not yeah. focus on the story was the fact that it is the Saturn V. And I'm like, that's clearly the Saturn V. That is obviously the Saturn V. No way is there anything but the Saturn V. The Saturn V is not a nuclear missile. Yeah. Like, the Saturn V was made for manned space flight. Like, so every time they're like, the warhead is launching, I'm like, but it's not a, but it's not a warhead though. It's, it's yeah. literally not a warhead. So I kept thinking, so is the plot twist going to be that now man's going to the moon a year early? Like, is, is this somehow going to tie in with NASA? And it, and it never did. And that actually really took me out of the episode. Um, and I know obviously it's kind of old and they were reusing the footage, which is good. But I just think when they, um, restored it or something if they could have just like it because it's such an iconic well, when they restore it the restored versions of this episode are actually worse special effect wise than oh, really? the original now this is an interesting fact i found out so um in the transmitted version the stock shot of enterprise orbiting earth is taken from uh tomorrow is yesterday they just reuse that slot mm -hmm. another that, that excellent shot. episode yeah and uh, a stock Saturn V photograph is used for the rocket, which Gary messes with. Both fairly typical of the era. In the remastered version, they add a new orbital shot, which shows, if you look, the Earth is rotating backwards now, because they've, <laughs> they've got to... The, the Enterprise is flying, what, and it doesn't work. Oh no, the Coriolis <laughs> um, effect gone wrong! And then they don't clean up the Saturn V photo whatsoever, but... Obviously, Gary um, Seven and stuff and all of that are still touched up, so it makes the Satmive look obviously worse. <laughs> like, like if you look, the gantry he's on, which obviously isn't part of the photograph, he's obviously just doing this. You can really see how much it is, uh, which is because they didn't clean up the Saturn Five footage <laughs> at all. Well, the, the, it's actually the stock footage used is footage of three different Saturn Fives um, because it, Saturn Five was. Used on multiple missions and stuff, um, so there's there's a few different. So it's it's not the same rocket every time you see it. So there's there's differences that you if you if you look at it like only one version of it has Saturn V written on the side of it, and like it, it's like 
it's like really bad continuity wise if you actually pay attention to what they're doing. But like, but it's it, still like the like just visually the Saturn V is so unmistakable that it just really I I couldn't think anything else other than that there was going to be some plot twist plot twist involving <laughs> involving the Apollo program. And but then, I, I and wonder I just if think, at why the time could they not though? have just recolored it, just like <laughs> painted it blue or something, so that it I could pre- like make up in my head. That it was some nuclear missile. I wonder if if that's like a thing that knowing, like having the benefit of f- like fifty years of knowledge of the space program, like we now mm. recognise Saturn Five more readily than people would have done at the time, uh, like when it was made. Maybe I don't know. Um, I assumed it's just because that were like, oh, okay, what what particular rocket launch do we have? Lots of publicly available yeah. high quality footage of that we can quickly draw from in the year 1979 1969 yeah. when we're making this episode oh oh yeah Sam, <laughs> there we go Sam well, five. apparently they, they had to go to nasa to get uh permission of to use the shots and everything um oh, and, right. and nasa sent them the shots uh oh, but nasa nice. filmed everything in a different aspect ratio so they had to like crop them all down and <laughs> so there's there were, there were apparently loads of shots that they wanted to use but when they cropped it down for size for a TV screen in the 60s, uh, it like cut off the top and bottom of the rocket. It looked shit. So, oh, they, no. <laughs> so they were, that's why, you know, in all those shots where it's uh, Scotty trying to use the oh, yeah. the ship's camera thing to, to zoom in, that's why there aren't that many zoomed in shots of it because they had to use all these shots that had enough space either side of the, the top and bottom of the rocket that when it got cropped, it, it didn't look shit. Oh my, that's adorable. So then instead we just got Scotty watching it on his little computer screen. Yeah. Just like, yeah, very Another nice. fun fact, James Doohan, uh, as well as playing Scotty in this episode, also does the voice of the, um, uh, in Mission Control at NASA, he does the voice of the, uh, oh, cool. like the countdown guy and the... I and thought you were going to say he does the voice of Gary Seven's computer. And I was like, <laughs> wow, he has a very convincing falsetto. <laughs> <laughs> that computer is a, 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 a dick. You, a sexy that computer, computer is. Got a stand, yeah, but we have to stand a queen though, and like the she's I think, good looking. She's got nice curves. She like slides out in a really shiny, sexy way. I was like, wow, this is like Spy Kids. It's like these, Spy like, Kids. She's got all these like flicky lights. That computer, I'm sorry to say, looks a lot cooler and a lot more technologically advanced than most of the things they have on the Enterprise. So yeah. kind of ironic that it was just like honor for what That's true. Yeah. And yeah. I I wanted to talk about the special effects in this episode as well because I think I don't know if it's a remastered version that I watched or if this is sort of close to what it would have looked like at the time but uh, I think it looks pretty cool like the the sort of um you know the weird portal that he walks through to be is that that's his beaming machine or whatever um mm. and it's like a sort of cool kind of purple black portal thing that he walks through which i think looks pretty cool and there's also quite a lot of special effects in this episode for one episode of tos like the i, I wonder if they had a higher budget for this episode than mm-hmm. normal because there's there's more phase of fire than usual there's quite a lot of beaming that goes well, on it's end of the end of the season in it so they if they haven't end of the season is always really cheap or really expensive because they, uh, they need to, to use, use up, up the, budget. the budget yeah yeah because especially in hollywood especially at this time i mean still probably somewhat true if you end up coming in under budget all that happens is your next season or film yeah 
is then given a smaller budget. Yeah, yeah, so like, yeah. well, you managed to make it on that much last time. Yeah, it's it's like a surplus thing, isn't it? Like, uh, yeah. So you always want to use stuff up. So I suspect. I wonder that's if why. I wonder if because Roddenberry wanted to get this pilot off the ground to create a new series. I wonder if he specifically like saved some of the budget for special effects in this episode to make it look as good as possible, so that he could like make the episode exciting and and try and sell this series that he was trying to get off the ground. Mm. Yeah, I assume that they just were like, fuck Star Trek, I'm going to pour all of my money into this sexy computer and into <laughs> Bobby's amazing like neon orange and pink frilly mini dress that she wears <laughs> that just looks so amazing. So I have a, um, a fact about that dress, if yeah. you would like. Um, yes, please. So the, the actor who played... Uh, the the woman um I keep roberta. forgetting her name roberta yeah the, the the roberta lincoln that's her name isn't it um the the woman who played her was uh she's said in an interview since that she was really uncomfortable on the set because when oh. they they first gave her the the costume and i think it was roddenberry um came onto the set and said the, the skirt's not short enough i want to have a a much sc- shorter skirt oh and so God. it got taken so the hem got taken up yeah um control your penis man <laughs> yeah so she i think it went through two or three different shortenings uh, because every time it, it, he said that he wanted it shorter and she said that she felt really uncomfortable wearing this tiny skirt on on the set and like that she felt like she was being um, kind of uh, a victim of the male gaze, I suppose is what we would say now. Um, well, that's really upsetting. And probably the same as the stories of like 95% of the actresses who worked in television at that time. And probably a large proportion of those who still act today. Such yeah. is El Patriarcado. Oh, God. Roddenberry, what the fuck? She's, trying suppo- to find... she's only supposed to be like 20 as well. I know, I'm yes. trying to find the uh, the quote that I found from her. Um, yeah, so the actor's called Terry Gar. Um, yeah. And it says here, uh, Roddenberry wanted to be a very hands-on for this episode as he hoped to turn it into a spin-off series. He insisted on shortening Terry Gar's skirt to be more revealing. That's a direct quote. Uh, Much to the anger of the costume designer, uh, Gar had very unpleasant time filming the episode, perhaps stemming from Gene Roddenberry's involvement in decisions regarding her costume, specifically the length of her skirt. The hem was taken up so much that it became very distorted in interviews since she's refused to talk about Star Trek in any way. Oh, that's so sad. Oh my God. So she felt really uncomfortable and unhappy. That's really, really sad. Now that I'm looking at like stills from the episode... You can see that the sh- the skirt looks misshapen. It doesn't hang right. right. Um, like like well, you guys probably won't know this, but like like when you're at school and you roll the skirt up to make it shorter, and then the hem is never the hem's always <laughs> wonky. It it does actually look like that. But God, that's awful. And she's never even spoke about it since. Yeah, apparently I mean, she refuses must, to talk about Star Trek. Fucking horrific. Then because she was the best thing about this episode, I think. Yeah, I, I think she absolutely was. She was funny. She was quirky. She kind of gave it that little bit of... When all the men were sort of marching around just looking very serious, she added the sort of light-hearted side 
but she was also quite feisty and pressing buttons and yeah. complaining to the computer and mm. accidentally trying to zap Kirk. And <laughs> so she, I, I was really entertained by her. I thought she was really charming. So yeah, I, I agree. Feel sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things I noticed, and I will accept, this is not the uh, the the sexism, you know, the feminist battleground on which on which we 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 are most keen to fight. But I did notice that in every like physical confrontation all that ever happened to her was that she was lightly restrained yeah. and then she was she was like implied to be about to whack people over the head or call the police or do whatever <laughs> yeah she them. did not but give the... a fuck she called the police on spock and kirk she called the police on gary she smacked yeah. gary with like this metal thing that basically knocked him unconscious yeah. And like she, she was about to like she was going, she was grabbing behind her to like claw at Spock's eyes and like try and scratch his face, and then instead she just pulled off his sort of hilarious woolly hat that he was wearing. <laughs> but, yeah. She's got that brilliant line where she, uh, when she's just about to hit Gary Seven over the head with the thing, and she goes, "I'm telling you, you're through monkeying around with my country's rocket." <laughs> <laughs> it's such a contrived <laughs> sentence, but I love it. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> and there's that bit when she talks, when it's like Roddenberry's put a bit in there to try and make it appeal to like modern audiences at the time, because there's that bit where she says, um, I know this world needs help. That's why some of my generation are kind of crazy and rebels, you know? We wonder if we're going to be alive when we're 30. And you're like... That's that makes never... me think. I that just stresses me out. Um, because I'm like, don't, don't make me feel sympathy with boomers. Don't make me feel yeah, that, yeah. like <laughs> generations are just the same, and that boomers in the like late sixties felt the same as millennials do in the late like twenty tens. That this isn't right. <laughs> it's a good point. I hadn't thought about it like that. Yeah, because I suppose that that woman now is like this, the equivalent of my mum. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I wonder if my mum ever went on sexy adventures with an alien. Oh, God. Wouldn't you just be so jealous? If my mum had gone on sexy adventures with an alien and not me, I'd be really pissed. <laughs> Nathan, <laughs> well, uh, Nathan, has Bev ever gone on a sexy adventure with an alien? Yeah, my mum, my mom, as she has said herself, so I'm allowed to say this, was born middle-aged. She's <laughs> never, <laughs> never had... Like, oh, I you know, to... That's why she's now young for her age. Um... <laughs> she's living her youth now. Bev shirts, Bev shirts, Bev shirts. We still need to make Bev shirts happen at some point. Hashtag Bev shirts. <sighs> Listeners, if you want s- if you want Bev shirts to happen, uh, tweet us hashtag Bev shirts. I want to go on sexy adventures with an alien. Aliens, if you're listening to this, if you're out there and you're <laughs> sexy, and you probably are if you're an alien, because that just makes you automatically kind of cool and hot. I want to go on a sexy adventure with you, please. <laughs> Can you imagine if this was the first contact that? Aliens. The first ever thing that aliens heard from our planet wasn't like we, it wasn't on, the, the gold plated thing that went up on Carl Saturn. Sagan. It, it, yeah, it was not like Carl Sagan's pale do- blue dot speech. It's us talking about Klingon dicks. <laughs> two two questions. Yes. Um, number one: Is there a private company that will let you broadcast things into space? <laughs> two: How much do they charge? <laughs> there must be. We <laughs> should do one. that. Can we Broadcast. overtake SETI? You know how SETI's been <laughs> shut down because yeah. it's not yeah. finding enough aliens. <laughs> yeah, it's not finding enough aliens, it's meaning it hasn't found any aliens. Non-zero aliens. <laughs> Close brackets. Yeah, we 
take over SETI. They sell it off at a bargain price, right? Because they're showing it down. We take over SETI and we start to broadcast <laughs> red shirts from SETI. And we, we somehow turn all of the deflector dishes the opposite way around. So that instead of receiving, they're now sending. I, I don't understand physics. And then... <laughs> And then we reverse the we, polarity, yeah. We reverse the polarity of the neutron flow and we send red shirts to space. <laughs> I mean, I'm if we can find a way to broadcast this into space, which I don't think it should be, I surely you can just do it with radio waves. I don't think it's that Morse code with a laser on the moon, you know, if you've got that sounds like something Morse code with a laser on the moon sounds like something that, like, on a Friday at 3 p.m. in a writer's room for Star Trek. <laughs> They've gone, oh, we can't come up with any, I don't know, Morse code with a laser on the moon? Yeah, fine, let's go to the pub. <laughs> Nathan, have you just searched to see whether or not we can send I, I've searched, space? but unfortunately it doesn't, uh, there's nothing coming up about, like, like there's there's history about it and SETI and yeah. the various government agencies and NASA and stuff, pages on it about what we've sent into space, but there's no, there's no agency... Willing to do it. I mean, it is believed that, like, various TV signals and things mm. like that just escape anyway. So there's a chance a very corrupted version of Red Shirts is somewhere in space already. But that's yes. the same as all internet traffic. So it's not, like, yeah. it's not, like, we don't, useful. I mean, and yeah, to be honest, our listenership, although you're all amazing, is... We, we don't have... We, we don't have the most penetration in on Earth to start with. I think it would be... I, if if, a, if an alien race is going to listen to a podcast, it's probably going to be off menu, isn't it? It's not going to be this. <laughs> <laughs> well, Zarg the Destroyer, uh, what's you going to be your starter or main course? Bobadoms or bread? Bobadoms or bread, Spock. Bobadoms or bread. Look, we should probably start to wind up uh, for this episode, unless you've got anything else that you want to talk about specifically about this episode. I'm just really sad that we don't get to see Roberta Bobby Hornblower Lincoln anymore because she was <laughs> so much fun. She was great. I would like to... There are apparently lots of um, comic books and uh, and tie-in novels that focus on uh, Gary Seven and Roberta Lincoln and their... their the co- cat. Isis yeah, the cat. Yeah, and Isis the cat. The cat um, that's named after a jihadist <laughs> <laughs> terrorist group. <laughs> So it's time to look into our uh, important questions at the end of this episode. So in Assignment Earth, guys, uh, first of all, uh, which character would we most like to see wearing a fez? Kitty cat, kitty cat, kitty well, cat. Well, exactly. We're always going to yeah. go with that, we? want we? the yeah, tiny yeah. cat, which is the grumpiest cat of all time, constantly <laughs> going, meow, meow, to also be wearing a tiny fez. I would love that. For, for Christmas, um, my girlfriend has bought my cat some hats. Uh, oh, so he's cute. got a little, he's got a little admiral's hat, and he's got a little, uh, like a, a little sombrero and all sorts. And there's absolutely no way I will be able to get him to wear those. <laughs> that is absolutely delightful. But yeah, I think Isis the cat is a good shout. I mean, I think if we gave Gary Seven a fez, we're just fully leaning into the Doctor Who thing um, mm. with. Uh, yeah, with Matt yeah, Smith. you can't give it Gary. Yeah, yeah, that's not allowed. What about would... Spock when they're in disguise? Instead of oh, because he does have that little hat. Yeah, yeah. instead oh, of his like Russian like... fluffy hat, maybe he has just like an oversized fez that also covers his ears yeah. and like means you can't really see his eyes. And whenever anyone has to speak to him, he has to like tip the top of the fez up <laughs> so that he can look like a, like an old-fashioned policeman's helmet, so that yeah. he can see you. Oh no, 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 no! After. 
after he gets that hat taken off, he's like, ah, oh, this is going to be a problem. So next time he appears, he's requisitioned a fez. And he's like, ah, oh, second hat. They knock off that hat. <laughs> then, they, then they've still got to go for this hat. Excellent. Um, Love it. I'm happy with that. Um, the uh, I, I was going to say, maybe, maybe we could uh, we could give um, Roberta... Uh, uh, r- r- I'm going to say that again. I was thinking maybe we could give Roberta uh, Lincoln the a fez, but Gene Roddenberry would probably come in and then make the fez really short, and then it would just look strange, <laughs> like a weird little flat fez on her head. <laughs> um, <laughs> second question is the Klim question. As always, a Klim is a space Karen, so who in this episode is most likely to ask to speak to the manager? I feel like Gary, Gary tried to speak yeah. to Roberta's manager, yeah. but he was her manager, and then she was like, I'm going to no. speak to your manager... No, 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 it's the computer. <gasps> yes, <laughs> the computer the computer's basically like, do not accept your supervisor authorization. <laughs> I want to see your manager. Or, or the um, the security guard who uh, won't let Gary Seven into the um, into the rocket place, uh, who he who Gary Seven then uses the magic pen on, because he literally says, "I'm going to have to." Uh, I'm going to have to talk to my supervisor about this. And then Gary Seven just goes, <laughs> nope. And then takes over the phone when he's like, when he's paralyzed, when he's Petrificus Totalist, the uh, the guy. And then he takes over the phone and he pretends to be him. And he's like, ah, we're all sorted out. Sorry. Uh, and then hangs it up again. So I, I think he's a bit karen But also, I suppose in that situation, it's Gary Seven who's being a Karen, really. But Once I do think again. the computer is the best Karen in this episode. And the computer is great. Same. I love the computer. Access denied. <laughs> Computer says no. <laughs> computer says no. I um, think petition for all the Star Trek computers to be replaced with the computer says no. <laughs> so be like computer, bring up the records for the blah blah blah. Computer says no. <laughs> that would be great. I would love to see like uh, like Catherine Tate's uh, schoolgirl character on the Enterprise being all like <laughs> <laughs> like Kirk's like. Go, Lauren. Go and uh, go and clean up Lauren, the vents. Lauren, if we or... don't, if you don't fix this engineering coupling, the Enterprise is going to explode in five minutes. I'm not bothered. <laughs> but I'm not bothered though. It would Look be at my face. Is this face bothered? Face bothered. <laughs> face bothered. Face bothered. Engine bothered. What drive bothered? I ain't bothered. <laughs> Although I suppose putting her in it is just fully leading into the Doctor Who stereotype, though. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then a final question, obviously, is the important question, the most important one. Who in this episode is most likely to have tried to suck their own cock? Right, Gary. Gary, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Because he is like... Oh, I was, I, I'm a human of this time, but I was taken by an advanced civilization and trained for many years. Like, right, you were, you went through puberty on an alien planet as the only human male around. Yeah, that's where he what got... What else did he get up to? That's where, that's where he got his surname from. He's called Gary Seven. Cause Is that how got... many times he's achieved it? No, I was going to say, because he's got a seven-inch dick. That's... <laughs> I was gonna say it's like his his numbers count. He's like they're like good morning, Mister Seven. Nope, it's eight today, ladies. <laughs> yeah, Gary Eight sounds much sort of less cool than Gary Seven, doesn't he? I'm I'm happy with that. I think uh, I think it's all. It was always going to be Gary, wasn't it? Of course, it was. Gary or those police officers who got transported into the enterprise because i feel like they go home and they're like so shook by what happened that they're like the only they're like oh i don't understand the universe anymore and what i thought was possible is now 
I, what I thought it was impossible is now possible. So I'm going to try <laughs> and do something that I thought was impossible. And then they try to suck their own dick to try and prove that that oh, no. reality is so wrong. <laughs> their wives are like, have you considered accessing therapy? <laughs> no, Marcia, I'm just going to suck my own dick in the shower until the pain goes away. <laughs> I love how in your mind their wives are also the computer. <laughs> have you tried accessing therapy? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's all we've got time for this week. It's been a fun one. I've enjoyed this episode. Um and we've had no technical issues. Hooray. Yay! So Hooray. we'll we'll be back next week. I don't know which episode we're looking at yet, but I'm sure it'll be a fun one. And then the week after that is our Christmas special, which is exciting. Um, so, so exciting. we uh, will have updates on that. Um as always you can follow us on social media at Redshirtscast on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we've got uh, some stuff on the Instagram at the minute that Maddie's added uh, from our recent trip to Destination Star Trek in London. There's some exciting uh, photos and uh, and reels and clips and things like that from stuff that we saw there. You can also go back and listen to the episode that we recorded while we were there, which is uh, came out a couple of weeks ago on, on your podcast feeds. Uh, uh, as ever, you can give us a, a five-star review if you want on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That really helps push us up the charts a bit. Uh, but other than that, all that's left to say is live long and prosper and goodbye. 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 Bye.